Welcome back to Graphical Literature and Society and History, Literature 209, more commonly known here at the Miskatonic Remote Education Program as the Comics Course. Today we're going to talk about Shang-Chi from Avenger to Movie Star. But let's get the normal announcements out of the way. You, of course, know me. I am Professor Hamby. I am the godless soul stuck here educating you ignorant nitwits. Um, my TA Rowan is here. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. Now, one thing that some of you may have noticed is that your links to the old video version of the course no longer work. Uh, it apparently turns out that I am not the only one who did not go through the rigor of an academic accreditation process in order to have to attempt to look decent on camera. And there was a small revolution. The dean apparently was very resistant to stopping the video course, believing that students should see their professors. However, at some point during the Zoom meeting, somebody started chanting 153, and somebody else started chanting from the... Uh, psychology department, snitches get stitches, and the dean decided to repeal the video requirement, so we're back to audio only. So I would like to extend my thanks uh, and confusion to Dr. Yankowitz, uh, who was chanting 153. I don't know what that was about. But, uh, and frankly, I don't trust him because I don't trust anybody who listens to BTS. And the answer to that song is, I don't give a shit if you have permission to dance. Stop playing it. Your office is not a goddamn club. They make headphones for a reason. So, let's jump into Shang-Chi. We have the movie coming out soon. I will not be going to a theater to see it. Be for the same reason that I've lived in my office for two years, which is I don't want COVID. I've already smoked enough illegal hash in the desert to permanently damage my lungs. This would kill me. Legal being... I'm getting a look from my TA here. Let's qualify that there's a statute of limitations on certain activities, and we are long past those. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So, let's do a slight recrap. Recap. Recap. <laughs> Look, no, I do not have any medical needs, people. I have had my Kit Kats today. I'm having Japanese apple Kit Kats. My TA, uh, who does not appreciate, obviously, the beauty of an apple Kit Kat, so they're inferior to the strawberry ones. Um, that actually, she's probably right, but. I didn't say the apples were bad, just strawberry was better. Um, but I continue my health regimen of living off Japanese Kit Kats and whiskey. So, slight recap. Shang-Chi came in during the Kung Fu boom of the 1970s. He was the son of Fu Manchu, which Marvel Comics licensed from the Sax Romer books because Stanley Leibowitz, a.k.a. Stan Lee, never saw a popular trend he didn't want to jump on top of. Uh, also, according to some books I've read, never a blonde he didn't want to jump on top of. Um, but, you know, he did get married and, to my knowledge, was faithful, um, at least within his zip code. But, um, no, I'm joking. I, I actually don't know of any accusations of Stan Lee like that. And he was famous enough that I think that if he had, they probably would have come out. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, by the 1980s, the interest in Shang-Chi as a character was pretty low. Uh, his dad was dead, but didn't, s well, we'll get into that. 
By the early 2000s, a new generation of writers were interested in Shang-Chi. People who grew up reading Shang-Chi were now writers themselves. And he was included in Father Knights. His father was renamed Han, which is about as interesting a name as seeing a duck dead on the side of a road. Um, and so during the course of today's course, what we're going to talk about is how this character, who was really focused on one element, being the son of a villain, and how we went from that to a now, I mean, frankly, A-list character. We got the movie coming out. And when you get a movie focused only on you, that is going to elevate you to an A-list character. So he is standing up there with Captain America, Thor, uh, Iron Man, and Black Panther. So after Marvel Knights... We really saw Shang-Chi used heavily around 2008 in the fourth iteration of Heroes for Hire. Heroes for Hire was this franchise that originally had focused heavily on Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Iron Fist being the honky martial artist of popularity um, because, you know, Chinese people need a white savior. But nonetheless, they were popular with these sort of urban street level stories and they were the original heroes for hire. Now, by 2008, in this fourth iteration, we saw female characters that had often been associated with Luke Cage and Iron Fist, specifically Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, take over the title. Now, over the years, these characters that had been very much backup and support characters to Luke Cage and Iron Fist really became heroes in their own right. In fact, they had headlined uh, 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 presence and titles uh, called the Daughters of the Dragon. And... Here they launched Heroes for Hire as the leads with backup characters like Black Cat and the Fifth Tarantula, who was a Hispanic woman. And all of this was happening during the Civil War. Civil War being a major Marvel event. Uh, if you remember, there was a Captain America movie called Civil War that was vaguely based on it. However, in the comic Civil War, there wasn't an international incident by the Avengers in a fictional foreign country. Instead, there was a death caused by a young teen group of superheroes called the New Warriors that led to a Superhero Registration Act, and a lot of parties taking advantage of it. In fact, it was far more complicated than the Captain America movie. Uh, and in the course of all this, Shang-Chi, frankly, was a pretty minor character. He really didn't get used much. I have to imagine the writers wanted him there, but they didn't know what to do with him. The character that the title really centered around were Colleen Knight, the swordswoman, Misty Knight, the badass cyborg, Tarantula got a good bit of cover time, and Black Cat just popped up because she was always useful. Um, in fact, one of the, 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 er, the first solo scene that Shang-Chi gets, he faces a villain called Shadowstalker, and I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. If you have never seen Shadowstalker, he is a large golden man with a, like, big wrestler's belt around his stomach and a metal rod attached to the top of his head and two spiked balls on chains on either end of the rod. So he attacks you by spinning his body around and, I guess, hoping the chains hit. He doesn't seem very shadowy or stalkery. 
or dangerous, in fact, especially since as drawn here, the balls are about maybe a foot from the body. I mean, if we if we adhere to current CDC guidelines, he will be nowhere near the ability to damage anybody. And by definition, in order to attack somebody, he has to move around and won't see where they are. And in fact, they will, because of the spread of his arms, just holding his arms out will hit people before his weapons do. This was the threat aimed at Shang-Chi. And, and it gives you an idea of how seriously he was kind of being taken. Um, and in fact, he, he didn't even make it on the covers. I mean, the covers were reserved. Uh, early covers of Heroes for Hire had like, you know, uh, Misty Knight and Catwoman and Colleen Wing and Tarantula and skin-tight outfits being looking badass, you know, walking towards the viewer. Shang-Chi's nowhere to be sound, found. Uh, and he doesn't really have backup stories. I mean, he he's very, he's not secondary. He's not support. He's tertiary to these stories. For a while. However, now one of the interesting things is as Civil War passes, the next big storyline that Marvel engages in is called World War Hulk. Hulk basically returns to Earth and is ready to invade. Now, if you've watched the Marvel movies, you may remember this big rock guy, Korg. Korg is, in World War Hulk, in the comics, a warrior who helps lead the attack on Earth, and in fact fights with the heroes for hire. This starts around uh, issue five. And we see here Shang-Chi beginning to come out as an established character of his own. And I'm also glad to say that thanks to modern inking and coloring, we have left behind the days when Shang-Chi was either represented as Caucasian or inhumanly yellow. He actually has shading to his skin now that indicates a at least presence of an Asian color palette on the artist's part. Mm -hmm. um, but, he start, but one of our first indications of Shang-Chi getting to really be his own established character is he's about to walk off to do something and Tarantula grabs his arm and he says, Unhand me, woman. What's the... Uh, what, whatever demons our teammate faces, even if they be imagined, he will not face them alone. So he's standing out and separating himself from the other members of the cast, saying um, he's not going to let their friend face this problem by himself, even if he's lost his mind. And she replies, Oh, so noble now. Such a protection... Protector, rather, to anyone you haven't slept with. To which Misty Knight goes, wait a minute, uh, you guys? So yes, it turns out that Shang-Chi and Tarantula have been making the two-backed monster. Um, now, Shang-Chi has a history, of course, being a little, not a ladies' man, because that implies, you know, playing the field a lot. Uh, but he certainly had relationships with Lieko of MI6, the Chinese-British agent back in his own original series. And, I mean, there were issues there. I didn't talk a lot about the series represented in Marvel Presents in 1988, um, five years after the end of his series, in part because I hated it so much. I, I, I kind of dismissed it last series, and I shouldn't have, because he does come out of retirement because... Uh, they need help. Lieko has now married one of their old mutual friends. Uh, he helps rescue her 
you know, and there's representation of these feelings. And we're going to get into that a little bit more here in a moment. But obviously, Shang-Chi may be trying to separate himself on some level from mortal concerns since the death of his father. But there's at least one concern that's very much still with him, which is he likes women. Um, and this is actually an interesting bit of characterization for him because he is a character that is supposed to be a kung fu master who's kind of above mortal concerns, and this is something that grounds him a little bit. Now, the threat they're dealing with is a brood queen. If you're not familiar with the history of Marvel Comics, brood queens are a big, almost Cthulian evil danger that faces the Earth. If they land, they can create hives that can ma do massive danger. Um, and as we move forward a little bit, just lest you think that Heroes for Hire was unabashedly feminist, um, they start doing things like anime-styled covers where the main female characters are tied up with lots of cleavage on display. Are those and tentacles? Those are tentacles. As I said, anime-inspired, stylistically and in terms of content. Um, and if somebody like Colleen Wing had an outfit that did not use cleavage, the outfit is unzippered so that she has cleavage. Classy. Yes. Yeah, it was classy. Now, to be fair, this is actually a very well done cover. Mm -hmm. The art is very well done. Um, but this title that was supposedly this sort of vehicle for these strong female characters is here obviously headed downhill. Anytime you have a title or any work, really, this happens with TV shows too, that is supposed to be strongly feminist and then they resort to heavy sexualization uh, in order to attract interest, the series is probably headed towards canceling. Uh, and it's kind of a shame because as we uh, are in these final issues, even though Shang-Chi has been a tertiary character, even though he's had very little time, that one scene where he said, where that revelation about him and Tarantula happened was the only thing of note with him in the whole series up to this point. He, in terms of characterization, steals the show at the very, very end. He's beat up. He, he had one panel in the previous issue where this big alien bad comes to smash them and Shang-Chi takes the blow. And, and you're like, we're about to have a badass fight. Shang-Chi is about to show why he's the MF and Kung Fu master. And then it just, boom, goes away. One panel, it's done. Um, but we now have a confrontation while they're prisoners in a cell Tarantula is talking to Shang-Chi and she's like, were you trying to kill yourself? Were you trying to die? And Shang-Chi just confronts her and says, look, I am afraid I've lost my way. I, I'm, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid to. And he says, I used to be with this woman and I killed a lot. I killed indiscriminately. And... I went to become a Taoist monk and isolate myself from the desires of the world. And I'm afraid that being with you is removing me from balance again and unleashing the killer inside me. So in one fucking page, he steals the whole series. In one page, he has more character depth 
than the, all the other characters who had so many lines and panels and all the issues before this. It's really kind of amazing. Uh, and of course, the woman he's referring to was Lieko. Uh, and, and it helps explain why back in that Marvel Presents, he did not stay with her. You know, yes, she had been become married, but he didn't chase her. He didn't try to stay around. He realized that there was something ugly and violent in him. And this is a theme we're going to pick up more. Because in the original series, they drew this dark line. You had Fu Manchu and you had his son and they were polar opposites. But now they've introduced the idea that there may be something of Fu Manchu and his son. This killer instinct. This lover of violence. And for those who aren't familiar with Taoism, by the way, um, it's not something I know a lot about. But Taoism, when we talk about Taoism and Taoism monks, don't confuse it with Western Christian ideas of monks. Uh, just because he's, for example, slept with Maria here, uh, the, the fifth tarantula, um, does not mean that he's violated any sort of vow or anything like that. Um, Taoists don't necessarily make vows of chastity. Maybe they do. There are different schools of Taoism, and the writer here never explains which ones, if any traditional ones, Shang-Chi is attempting to adhere to. Uh, but they do believe in things like compassion, frugality, and humility. Um, they believe in this ideal of, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this, so I apologize, but Wu Wei, which is a natural state of action, a natural state of being where you don't have to plan and project intention upon your actions. You're just flowing with the universe. And they believe in these energies in the universe that you need to be in balance with, but they believe the universe is constantly shifting with them, so you have to shift with them. Um... So this is Shang-Chi's challenge, that he believes that his passion for a woman is throwing him out of balance with the universe and bringing this passionate side of violence to him. Now, you ask yourself, uh, why would he be concerned about this? Well, as we'll see as we go on to other series, his father may have had a bit more love for women than we realized. Now, even as it was, we know from the Sax Romer books and earlier comics that Fu Manchu had a number of children. Um, so maybe these things are intertwined. So, in the pretty close to the last time we see Shang-Chi in Heroes for Hire, uh, he's having a confrontation with Misty Knight, and Misty says, this is an alien invasion. Let the Avengers deal with it. And Shang-Chi says, that's not what this is about. He hurt Maria and betrayed us all, this cannot stand. And he leaves to confront the big bads. Now, this is an important moment in him as a character. He's no longer a weapon for others. He's not an Avenger. He's not working for MI6. He's doing... He's not even doing something because it's considered right or wrong. He's doing it because an individual life that he values is endangered. And so he's going to act. And there are... It's a bit of an interesting moment also because the next big series we see him in, he is an Avenger. He becomes a member of Steve Rogers' Secret Avengers. Uh, and so let's move into that. Let's talk about that. Ed Brubaker, if it's a name that you don't know, you should. We could easily do a whole class session on him. He's won two Harvey Awards, four Eisner Awards. 
you've seen his work. If you've watched the Captain America movies, especially Civil War, um, you saw stuff that he did. Winter Soldier was his creation. In fact, you've probably seen he himself because in the scene in the Winter Soldier movie where Bucky is being reactivated, they brought Ed Brubaker on to be one of the scientists in the background. <gasps> That's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and he's written a lot of Captain America. He wrote Captain America's Assassination, his Rebirth, all that. He also wrote a series that actually kind of redeemed the Iron Fist character a fair bit called Immortal Iron Fist. Huh. And those that are interested can read it. Um, cool. Now, Ed Brubaker started a series called The Secret Avengers. It began in 2010, uh, but the first story arc had no involvement of Shang-Chi. It was stuff on Mars... Uh, with kind of Cthulian science fiction stuff. But the second story arc that started in 2013 is of interest to us. It's called The Eyes of the Dragon. No relation to the Stephen King novel of the same name. Now, a character that's important in it, however, was borrowed from Brubaker's Immortal Iron Fist, who is called, depending on who, which character is talking, either the Green Mist or the Prince of Orphans. He's a martial artist who has the ability to turn into Green Fist, and he's from an ancient society that often adopts orphans and gives them a home and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but we immediately jump into this arc in Secret Avengers, and this whole arc, finally, Shang-Chi is not any kind of side character. This is really about Shang-Chi. And we open it, and assassins are after Shang-Chi, they're a society of assassins that used to be associated with his father, which doesn't make sense to him because with his father gone, they shouldn't be relevant anymore. But it turns out that these two artifacts, the Eyes of the Dragon, can be used to bring Fu Manchu back from the dead. Now, they don't use Fu Manchu's name at all because they still don't have the Sax Romer licensing. But it turns out that using the blood of a relative like his son... By sacrificing Shang-Chi, they can resurrect his father. Now, he's still being defined as the antagonist of his father. He is essentially still the son of Fu Manchu. When he was first introduced all the way back in the 1970s in Marvel Presents number 15, on that very first opening title page, the big text is Son of Fu Manchu. And they're still doing that here. Um... And they, they sort of solve an interesting problem, Ed Brubaker does, because it's implied that the power of resurrection is tied to the spirit of the one being sacrificed. So raising Shang-Chi to be this powerful spiritual practitioner is really valuable to the resurrection. I also want to throw out that they actually gave him a costume that was not cringeworthy. He wore a black t-shirt with some design on it, and then some martial arts pants and slippers. That's it. And, okay, he did have a blue belt that was kind of silly. And the strings on the blue belt were way too long because they would interfere with martial arts. But other than that, it was actually an outfit that was not cringeworthy for once. What, what did you think, oh, visual design person? Doesn't really look like a superhero. Just looks like a guy from the streets. As in he just walked in and started helping. Which is what he should look like. Yeah, really. yeah, I, I I agree, but it just kind of but kind of looks funny next to Black Widow and the other guy. Right, the other guy being Steve Rogers. He's not using the name of Captain America right now, but it's Steve Rogers. Sorry, I can only see him from the back, so yeah. I don't know. Um, 
But one of those Taoist ideals is humility. He should just act. I mean, if he wears clothes, they should be functional in a way. That's important. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Now, the next thing Ed Brubaker does is something fairly brilliant. He uses uh, Hank McCoy, a.k.a. the Beast, uh, who's in one of his smart phases, to do some research. And he comes up with the story that the eyes of the dragon were created by these two sorcerer brothers. And it turns out that who we, at this point, would still be calling Fu Manchu, or Han, if we were to use the Christopher Priest assigned name, was one of those brothers. And his name is Zhang Zhu. So now we actually have a name, Zhang Zhu, to use going forward for his father, and it's used consistently from this point forward. Third name unlocked. So Fu Manchu is gone. You know, the the the, the burdened curse of avoiding using the name while talking about his father is finally avoided. <laughs> Shang Chi, I am your father. Right. So it turns out that, you know, this cult is basically looking to sacrifice Shang-Chi to the spirit of his father to resurrect him uh, and make the father indebted to them and so that he will basically be their power broker inside China. So we have a scene where Shang-Chi is being suspended by ropes. He's tied up. And essentially the half-animated corpse of his father is walking towards him with a dagger. And after he kills Shang-Chi, Zhang Zhe uh, will be fully resurrected and himself again. But this isn't a throwaway moment. I kind of want to focus on this moment because I think it's pretty important. In this moment, uh, Shang-Chi looks at his father and says, I feel nothing but pity. I never realized... What a scared little man you truly are. Now let that sink in. He, this is intentional on Ed Brubaker's part. Throughout Shang-Chi's existence as a character, as an important character in Marvel's history, he's been defined by his father. He is now rejecting that. He is no longer defined by his father, who, even when dead... He was the son of this big criminal warlord. But now he's saying, who cared if, even if you get resurrected, you're pathetic. You're just a scared little man. Even if I'm dead, you're still a scared little man. So Ed Brubaker is, this story is Ed Brubaker's redemption of Shang-Chi. Ed Brubaker taking this this weight that has tied down Shang-Chi's character and cutting it free. So it's a pivotal moment. Uh, unsurprisingly, perhaps, the resurrection fails. Uh, Zhang Zhe does not rejoin us, and life moves on. The, the next time we really see Shang-Chi is in the Big Spider Island storyline in 2011, and we see one of the things that is changing about Shang-Chi's character. Now, up until now, Shang-Chi has been an agent. He's been an agent of the Secret Avengers. He's been an agent of MI6. He has sometimes been an agent for himself. But he's just going out there and kicking ass. Now, when we encounter him in Spider Island, 
we encounter him as the mentor. Now, Shang-Chi as a, as a mythological figure, this is a new addition to him. He's now an elder statesman of the Marvel Universe. He is someone who has found balance through Taoism. He understands these spiritual energies, and he can help others. And we see an extension of his character because Spider-Man comes to him, and Spider-Man says, well, what happens if I lose my power? What do I do that complements my spider senses? What can I do to become better as a superhero? And Shang-Chi develops a new form of martial arts for him. He doesn't teach him existing kung fu. He creates a new spider style of kung fu for Spider-Man. And how does he test him against it? He puts him up against Madam Web, a precog who can literally see exactly what Spider-Man's about to do. And yet, mastering this new martial art that Shang-Chi has made for him, he's able to fight her to a standstill. He can fight a martial arts precognitive to a standstill, and she can't land a blow on him, even though he can't land a blow on her. Shang-Chi is, is now this master... You know, they've called him a master of kung fu, but it's kind of been a, a lying title, because a master does isn't just a practitioner, they're a teacher. And this is the very first time we see Shang-Chi the teacher, someone who's able to take this ancient art of kung fu and combine it with superpowers, with other aspects of the universe to do something totally new. And this becomes very important to his character going forward. Now we, moving forward, uh, 2014, and I'm skipping some of his minor appearances. We don't want to go into every single issue he's appeared in, because we're now hitting generations of writers who enjoy popping him into scenes when they can. But we see a character that's from the old 1970s comics, um, and a miniseries called The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. It ran for four issues in 2014, and we see a bad guy show up who you're also going to see in the Shang-Chi movie, who basically has knives for hands. I hope that he has, like, maybe hands inside them and they're just extensions, because otherwise peeing would be really dangerous. Um, but anyway, he has knives for hands, and in our very first issue, in the first couple frames, he catches up with Liiko, uh, Shang-Chi's old flame, and rips her in half eviscerating her just yeah it's bloody and it's brutal uh and so when shang chi is contacted he's of course interested in finding her now what he finds out is that she was of course working with mi6 that's she was an mi6 operative and she was infiltrating the triads however it according to one of the triad leaders she actually had betrayed mi6 and fallen in love with him, and was joining the triads to become a criminal mastermind. Now, in the course of all this, it turns out what is really happening is Midnight is back, the adopted son of Shang-Chi's father, and his adopted brother, he's and he's attempting to use a ritual to kill all the triad leaders and summon Zhang-Chi back to life again. However, he screws up, and it actually resurrects Liiko instead. Oops. Who then does some murder killing. 
says that she has no mercy left in her and disappears. And the stage is obviously set for her to be Shang-Chi's uh, future opponent. Which might have happened, except the next thing to come along a year later in 2015 was Battle Worlds. This was part of a new big Marvel, let's cross lots of titles and you know make people buy every title in the world. Now, this created basically a new reality and a new miniseries uh, where Shang-Chi basically was a part of this new world that kind of cast a different slant on Marvel martial arts stories. So instead of Kunlun being this ancient mystic city where Danny Rand became the Iron Fist, it was part of a larger mythology uh, where Shang-Chi's father, instead of simply being a, a hidden criminal mastermind, was part of a dynastic clan that led up these other martial arts clans. And basically, Shang-Chi uh, was a drunken master and an alcoholic that was in hiding and, and trains rebels up. It's a sort of what-if, alternate universe Shang-Chi story. And I wouldn't spend this much time on it, except, A, I want to call out some really beautiful art in the book uh, that evokes these sorts of, admittedly, Western-interpreted, but ideas of classical Chinese uh, drawing styles. And two, some of these ideas of taking characters like the Mandarin and Fu Manchu and mashing them up and making Shang-Chi and Kun Lun and this stuff all part of a unified Eastern mythology of martial arts starts to become true. And we see it following through into the upcoming movie. So while this is a, as a standalone, a what if in the Marvel Universe, you can see that so they were playing with ideas that are actually attractive overall. Because, of course, all seven people that watched the Iron Fist TV show on, Marv, on Netflix, um, it was not popular, uh, would want to see how this would interact with Shang-Chi in the movies. Now, as the next few years went on, Shang-Chi showed up, but wasn't a major part of a whole bunch of things. Uh, the Avengers storyline, time runs out because the universe ended. I mean, it had been like 12 months since the last time the universe ended, so it was time again. Yeah, I was about to um, say, it ends a lot. He showed up in Hulk, he showed up in Iron Man, he, was, he showed up in the Secret Empire storyline. But in all this, he was pretty much in what I call the solid B-lister phase. You know, he wasn't running his own title. He wasn't central to any of these big storylines. He was a character that the writers obviously liked and readers liked, but he wasn't going to be selling his own title. He wasn't Iron Man or the Hulk or the Thor or anything like that. But there came a point where Marvel obviously stopped and asked themselves a question, a very important question. And that question was, how do we make more money in China? Because... I'm going I'm to tell you something, uh, 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 my, my dear students, that may shock you. It may shock you to your core. I want you to grab your socks and hold on to them so they don't get blown off you. Comic book companies... Like money? They... No. No. My dear sweet innocent child, they don't like money. They love it. They love it. 
They suck on the teat of the goddess of cash flow. They want nothing more in this world than to swim. When, when they created Scrooge McDuck, it wasn't to mock capitalism. It was wish fulfillment. They want to swim in, in pools of money. And, and through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they do. Now their personal money is going to the mouse. But, nonetheless. So, China is a big movie market. For those of you that are Western and don't understand that there's a non-English speaking part of the world, there is, there's a bunch of them, and they like to go to the movies. Mm-hmm. And, and China has a pretty well-developed uh, society with expendable income for going to the movies. Would have never guessed. I know, really. So we now live in an age where movies need to be made for Western and Chinese, Japanese, Korean audiences. Um, and so they began planning a Shang-Chi movie. So even before uh, the movie went into final production, even before they wrote a script, uh, the clear goal at Marvel was to start building up Shang-Chi as a character. So now we begin the phase where they looked back at Shang-Chi as a B-list character and said, how is he going to be an A-list character? Well, the it happened pretty rapidly because we're really only talking about a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by 2018, when Domino's mutant luck powers are having trouble, she sent to Shang-Chi to rebalance mm-hmm. her you know, ability to function with the universe, her interaction of her human psyche and her mutant powers. He is now, has that title of master and earned it, where he may not be a mutant, but he understands the flow of energy from the person to the universe so well that he can translate that to a mutant and their powers, just like he did with Mm Spider-Man. Now, the Spider-Man jump was a little less because I'm not going to get into the history of Spider-Man, but there is a spiritual connection between Spider-Man and the metaverse, um, unlike with Domino. But that is their moving of elevating him. Um, now, why is this an important elevation? Because at the highest ranks, all A-list characters are leaders. All A-list characters are experts of some sort. If you need a physicist... You go to Bruce Banner or or uh, Reed Richards. If you need an engineer, you go to Tony Stark. If you need a smartass, you go to Spider-Man. Um, and I'm kind of joking there, but, but actually many iterations of Spider-Man have had him an expert on various subjects. His scientific background has been heavily emphasized during his history as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need somebody who's an expert on leadership and integrity, you go to Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they at an A-list character, they exemplify ideals. That becomes part of their mythological, iconic background. And here we see that, that mastery of energy flow being that in Shang-Chi. And by now, the movie marketing is starting to go into motion. He also sleeps with Domino, by the way. Of course, because every female character has to be slept with. Um, Let me tell you, in the Domino series, she decides who she sleeps with. Yeah, no, no. This this was Shang-Chi's the man. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, by 2019, 
uh, Marvel isn't just looking at the Shang-Chi movie. They're looking at their profile with Asian readers in general. Now, this is the point at which uh, Marvel, you know, DC is planning their celebration of Asian heroes, which we talked about a few class sessions ago. Uh, there's an upcoming one from Marvel like that coming out about visions of Marvel talking about Asian characters. But by 2019, they had a spinoff from their big War of the Realms crossover event mm -hmm. uh, where a character we've not talked about up till now becomes important named Jimmy Woo. Now, Jimmy Woo is a fascinating character with a longer history with Marvel than a lot of people may realize. Jimmy Woo is a Chinese-American FBI agent. He goes back to being the main character of an espionage title that started in 1956, during a time when Asian characters often did not get a good break. Um, and he was an FBI agent, even back then, fighting a villain called the Yellow Claw from Marvel Comics. So it really, back in the 1950s, Marvel was maybe not systematically attempting to, you know, provide nuanced visions. But when somebody came forward with a good story and it was an unusual protagonist, like an Asian-American FBI agent, they still told the story, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and Jimmy Woo is still around today. You probably know him. Many of the people in this class probably know him, even if they don't remember the name, because he was the FBI agent in WandaVision. That was him? That was him. <gasps> Obviously not old enough from the 1950s. But Jimmy Woo was the FBI agent who discovered the messed up town that Wanda Maximoff had converted into the sitcom reality of WandaVision, played by Randall Park in the series. He will also be uh, playing Jimmy Woo again in some upcoming Marvel Cinematic projects, which I think is kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, and in War of the... And Agents of Atlas. Now, Agents of Atlas has its own convoluted history. I'm not going to get into it right now. Um, but basically, they are an old superhero team that's actually modern created and was retconned to exist in the past. We're not going to go into all that right now. But Jimmy Woo organizes a new version of the Agents of Atlas with um, Asian characters to kind of operate in the Asian theater to kind of be an Avengers over there. And some fascinating characters. Um there is Snow Fox, who is a kitsune from South Korea and is an uh, operative of the South Korean Intelligence Agency. Is that a giant bear? That is a giant bear, yes. A giant spirit bear. That's awesome. There is two characters that were created new by Marvel to try to appeal to the Chinese audience, Arrow and Swordmaster. Neither of them did very well, unfortunately, but I thought they were good efforts. They were drawn also in a manga style to try to appeal more to Eastern audiences. That's um, cool. Unfortunately, neither were particularly creative and both had crappy names. I actually enjoyed Arrow, though. I thought it was well-written. Mm -hmm. I, I hoped it would continue, but it got canceled after, I think, about 10 issues or so. That's sad. Swordmaster made it to 12 issues and featured heavily Shang-Chi as a mentor character. Oh, that's cool. I actually thought Swordmaster had a slightly interesting background, mm -hmm. But again, it wasn't really pulled together well. Um, we had uh, a 
younger iteration of the Hulk in the team. We had Silk, who is a contemporary of Spider-Man. In the Marvel lore, actually, she was bitten by the same spider. I can't remember if it was the same spider or a different spider that all interacted with the same experiment, but gained her powers the same time Peter Parker did. But she was put into isolation and didn't come out for years and years. Oh. Into South, in, into the Korean descent. Um, and, and there, uh, oh, I should mention, uh, the Hulk is Amadeus Cho, who's a genius who I believe experimented on himself to give himself super strength and stuff. Um, and so on and so forth. Uh, what I wanted to also mention was not only is Shang-Chi a member of the group, but look at the cover. If, if you get a chance to look at the covers of Agents of Atlas, like the collected editions, you see Shang-Chi in the front. He is the central character. He is the leader of the group. He is the mentor that the others look up to. The, he is the equivalent of putting together a new group of Avengers and putting Captain America at the front of it. So this is a very big deal. So we have this character that came from street-level characters. He fought alongside people like Iron Fist and uh, Power Man and was a bruiser and a secret agent. And he's now being elevated subtly to the point where he's a Iron Man, Thor-level person with an understanding of spiritual energies, even though he's just a normal human. I'm just going to let this sink in for a second. Because I do think that's also something different than we're going to see in the future. I don't think it's going to stay that way. I think we're going to add on to the mythology. And we're going to talk about that more when we talk about the movie a little bit. Okay. So we, we've had a big rush of Shang-Chi titles since then. Uh, they did a kind of throwback called Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu that was a reference to the black and white magazine we talked about in the 70s. They put uh, Deadpool on the cover because, of course, Deadpool uh, helps promote your title. The, the four stories in it were throwaways, but it was kind of fun to see these old 70s standalone style stories done in a modern book. Um, then we had a standalone issue called The Legend of Shang-Chi, The Equinox Blade, written by Alyssa Wong, who is not primarily a comics writer, but she's a Nebula Award winner, Locus Award winner, World Fantasy Award winner, um, great writer, and the art done by Andy Tong, who I really liked from his work on Green Lantern Legacy. I think Andy Tong also has some art coming up in the upcoming Marvel Asian Visions book, but I'm not sure. And it was an interesting story. Now, one of the things I want to point out is that when we last saw Lieko Wu, mm -hmm. uh, which admittedly was like three universe reboots ago or something, uh, she had come back from the dead, obviously very evil, no mercy left in me, when we see her now in the opening pages of this one shot, the Equinox Blade, he's eating peach gelato with her in London and she's with MI6 again and seems totally chill. So much for no mercy left in me. Yeah. I also want to know, is she still married? Is she available? I mean, she did kind of leave her husband to go with the triad. I mean, I'm pretty sure Chang Chi could get with her. But he, he does. He seems not uh, um, down with that. And she's not a triad boss anymore. I think some stuff either got retconned or left behind in some universe reboots. 
tons of things have been lost in there. There's probably a ferret somewhere in there. No, but there have been recurring monkeys in the Shang-Chi books. I haven't really talked about that, but monkeys are a thing. As they should be. Um, So in 2020, they decided to start up a new ongoing Shang-Chi series with Jean Luang Yang. And, and, okay, for my Chinese speakers out there, I apologize. I'm doing the best I can here, okay? Um, But Yang is a MacArthur Fellow. He has written plenty of comics and plenty of other stuff uh, and wrote a book called American Born Chinese, Identity issues with with Chinese Americans are a big thing with him. Now, of course, this is a little bit complicated because Shang-Chi is not American Chinese. He's a Chinese man that ha- is now living in America. But still, there's quite a bit of crossover there. Now, this only ran for five issues, one story arc, which is a little weird, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but it was well done. Um in this storyline, and I have to say, I really like the art. One of the first images we see of Shang-Chi in the book just shows him shirtless with a couple of bracers on, which, you know, are useful in martial arts. And the skin tones are done very well. And he's shown very much like a heavy... Frankly, he looks like Ryu from Street Fighter and some of the better anime of Street Fighter anime. And that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm noticing a lot of the art in some of these now that we're getting on to like the 2010s and forward. Mm-hmm. It's looking very anime. Well, this is 2020, and yes, I mean, but we also are having a gen- generations of artists who, if we were talking about 20, the early 2000s or 2010, we might be talking about artists who got influenced by anime and manga. Mm-hmm. We're now talking about some artists who also draw anime and manga and grew up with it. <laughs> All of this is meshing together in a single world culture now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the leaders at some of these companies, I don't know if the editors at Marvel actually understand this is what's happening, but it's happening whether they direct it or not. I'm okay with this change. I am too. So what we find out here is we get some more retconning. We get some serious retconning happening here. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Hardcore retconning. So we find out that, first of all, Shang-Chi has four more siblings that we hadn't met before. Rabbits. I mean, look, we did talk last class session about all the harem girls around Zhang Zhu when he's doing all of his evil mastermind gloating. Which was very creepy. It was creepy, but they obviously weren't just for show. Just saying. Look, he was a rich, charismatic man. They said that. They might have been there 100% voluntarily. True. They didn't look to be against their will. They looked like they were enjoying hanging out. Yeah. And and look, I, I know this isn't the most politically correct thing to say, but the fact is that wealthy, powerful men do not have trouble getting women. They can look like Walter Cronkite on crash. And they will still have gorgeous women hanging all over them. The reverse is true, too. I mean, you can have a woman that looks like Phyllis Diller met a chainsaw. And there will be a hot young guy being, you're, you're a beautiful lady. Let me take your arm tonight. I mean, this is just, I mean, money and power bring this, right? It doesn't matter for gender. No, it doesn't. So anyway, Shang-Chi has four siblings. Plus, probably plenty more. But we find out 
that he grew up for a while with one of them. Now, what we know about Shang-Chi's childhood up until now is basically that he was an angel. He was raised to be this perfect little saint, and he was. Now we find out through these flashbacks that he was a prick. He talked about, you know, the people that worked for his family, like they were just dirt to ignore. He broke rules. He was presumptuous. He was, in other words, a real kid. So, don't look at me like that. First of all, you're a college student. You shouldn't be that offended about little kids anymore. Unless you're projecting a little. No. You have family issues? You have daddy issues? No. All right. So, but the fact is that little kids can be snots. Yeah. And he was the kid of the Lord Mm -hmm. of this place. Of course, he's going to have some issues with being a snot. Mm-hmm. Unless he's corrected, right? It just comes with being a rich kid. Right. So, we find out that he was cl- close to a sibling. They got separated. And we find out that the father, Zhang Zhe, uh, Fu Manchu, whatever you want to call him, uh, remember back in that Secret Avengers storyline, Ed Brubaker introduced the idea that he had had a brother and they had both been sorcerers and they developed the magic together to extend a life and resurrect somebody? Mm -hmm. Well, what we find out is that they had actually trained five disciples, each of whom had specialized in a weapon. One bare fists, one stabs, one daggers, one swords, and one um, hammers. A big hammer, battle hammer. Mm -hmm. And... They had actually positioned themselves as the champions of China, protecting China. Mm -hmm. And in fighting threats like Fin Fang Foom, who's an ancient evil dragon that has shown up in Marvel Comics over the years as a major villain. Um, So now we find out that over 300 years ago, Shang-Chi's father was a hero. A good guy. Who trained good guys? And after the death of his brother, trained up the disciples, and after they passed away, new disciples, and founded the Five Weapons Society. Essentially, these five societies, one focused on each form of martial arts, hammers, swords, daggers, bare fists, staves, um, to be his agents. And trained up one of his children to ultimately lead up each society. Mm-hmm. And Shang-Chi was being trained to be the leader of the Fist Society, the Bare Hand Society. While mm-hmm. another was being trained to be the head of the Dagger Society and so on and so forth. Um, the Bare Fists were in China, but he spread them across the globe to be a global threat. And did this after the Boxer Rebellion, or as the Chinese call it, the Eight Nation Invasion because a whole bunch of Western countries came and invaded. So, for example, he put the, the Hammer Society in Russia to be a threat to them, and also to distribute them so they couldn't all be stopped at once. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out these other factions have attempted to remain loyal to their dead father and have this weird, like, glowing thing, right, that mm-hmm. indicates which leader of which society is supposed to be the new Grandmaster. Well, 
the shit hits the fan when one of them dies, who was the Grandmaster, and a new light comes up, and it's the bare fist. Guess who, even though he's considered a traitor, is considered the, the technical head of the Bare Fist Society? Him. Shang-Chi. Who is currently working for a bakery in New York City. They do know they can just make a new character, right? No, they can't. This, this, this is part of their rules. They're working within their rules. Um, now, Shang-Chi, this writer is doing something in Shang-Chi stories that is very rarely ever seen. Mm-hmm. Humor. Which is pretty much unknown in Shang-Chi stories up to this point. So, the owner of the bakery is an old woman, and her daughter walks in. And the daughter's obviously hot. And Shang-Chi looks at her and goes, Hello. And he thinks to himself, Usually when I meet a woman this stunning, she's pointing some sort of weapon at my face. <laughs> and indeed, within a few pages, Lieko shows back up and does put a gun in his face. <laughs> Just to illustrate the point. But again, we have Shang-Chi being drawn as... I mean, he almost looks to me in this art... Like, 70s Jackie Chan. Young man, really fit. Not super muscular like a bodybuilder, but like a gymnast, athlete. Mm -hmm. Looks very real. Yeah. And there are little tidbits in here thrown in by the writer that that talk to the Asian American experience. So... For example, Lieko, at one point when talking to him, and obviously she has a very long history with him, says, Shang, no offense, but your English sounds like a fortune cookie. It's hard to take. This is when he says to her that they should talk in English because her Chinese is so bad. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, she grew up in England. She's of Chinese heritage, but Uh Chinese is not her natural language. Uh Um, And she says, you've been in the West for a long time now. Why do you still talk like that? And he thinks to himself, he doesn't say it out loud, but he thinks to himself, and we get to read it, uh, I found that if I slow my cadence and use wise words, Westerners look at me rather than past me when I speak. So this is his way of focusing their attention on him. Now, I talked last class session about those cadences, about the stereotypical evil cadence of, you know, the overlord, and then the wise cadence introduced by David Carradine in Kung Fu. This is what he's referring to. It is still a stereotype. Mm -hmm. But it is true that sometimes if you're a member of a stereotyped population, you have to use that to your advantage, not because you're being manipulative, but because you got to get by sometimes, even if you're a bloody superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think it's interesting. And one of the things we run into when we start meeting the siblings Here we meet, uh, within a few pages, Brother Saber and Sister Dagger, is that they're not all uniform clones of their father. Brother Saber, for example, is this big hulking guy, and he's really friendly. And Sister Dagger is 13 and incredibly sarcastic. So they have this conversation where they all meet up, and Brother Saber has been, uh, uh, you know, Sister um, Staff is dead, Sister Hammer is the one who now claims that she's the leader of the organization no matter what. Uh, Brother Saber shows up to talk to Shang-Chi, and Shang-Chi has just kicked the crap out of a whole bunch of the Five Weapons Society agents. And Brother Saber and Sister Dagger helped. And Brother Saber says, 
We bring you exciting news, brother. I know, I'm doing this with a Russian accent. He looks Russian. I mean, I'm... And we don't know, actually. I mean, look, Zhang Zhe got around. I mean, not all of his children are probably Chinese. Um, but anyway, he says, We bring you exciting news, brother. The spirit of our father, the ever-victorious master Zhang Zhu. I keep saying Zhe. I don't know. Just work with me, folks. Has selected you to be the next supreme commander of the Five Weapons Society. The little sister says, Unexpected, considering you murdered him. I, I didn't murder my father. He... Saber. But that's the beauty of family, right? Family forgives. <laughs> Even patricide, apparently. So, I mean, you're getting this family dynamic in. It's interesting. And these all have different mothers. I mean, uh, I think they are meant to be Chinese. Uh, there, there was a kind... There's another kind of retconning here. The original Fu Manchu... Uh, kind of despised everybody. I mean, he especially despised the Westerners, but I do, but he wasn't particularly loyalistic to any Chinese national identity. That's changing here, and there's going to be and there's some retconning because remember we found out that Zhang Zhu from the Ed Brubaker run, uh, well, sorry, not the Ed Brubaker run, but now uh, uh, we found out from the Ed Brubaker run that he had a brother, and we're finding out now in this series that he was essentially a superhero of medieval China. It's so confusing. Right. And we find out that part of his reason for founding the Five Weapons Society were to be protectors of China. And yes, he turned evil over time, but basically because of resentment. Basically, he didn't understand why people wouldn't follow his protective leadership all the time. And he saw himself as beneficial, which actually, going back to the original introduction of Shang-Chi, helps make that a little more sense if he did, in fact, think of himself as the good guy. Mm. But that's not how they wrote the character of Fu Manchu back then. So there's, there is some retconning going on here, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, now, we also find out in flashbacks... Something that's a definite retcon for Shang-Chi's character. When Shang-Chi was introduced all the way back in that Marvel Presents number 15, mm -hmm. he is utterly shocked that his father is capable of being evil. But we have a flashback where Shang-Chi does something that violates his father's rules. He does it with his little sister in tow, who's now Sister Hammer. And his father catches them, and he begs his father for mercy for his sister... And says that he will, in exchange, give unconditional obedience to his father. Now, this makes more sense, but it's clearly not the intention of the writers back in Marvel 15 when Shang-Chi thought his father was a good guy. And it's spelled out, just in case we weren't clear, when he begs his father for mercy, he's asking that, he, that his father kill his sister painlessly. Because he just assumes that there's no option other than his father will kill his sister. And he thought he was the good guy? Right. So, I mean, there's definite retconning happening, right? Yeah. So, as the story goes on, Shang-Chi does, in fact, take over the Five Weapons Society. There's some interesting character development with him and Identity of Family. Mm -hmm. And we find out something really interesting. Um, he gets approached by the ghost of his uncle. 
the ghost of the other sorcerer who died. Now, Zheng Zhu, his father, says that he that his brother was weak, and as they got older, he murdered his brother to use his energy for the Elixir of Life. Now, the Elixir of Life goes all the way back to the Sax Romer books. They explain that Fu Manchu is ancient because he's used the Elixir of Life, another name for the Philosopher's Stone, to artificially extend his life. This is enabled, we find out from Ed Brubaker, by using the Eyes of the Dragon to kill somebody spiritually close to him, a family member, and that can allow resurrection and extension of life. Okay, that all makes perfect sense. So, when he says that he killed his brother because his brother was weak and he needed his life force to extend his life, it makes sense. We find out from the ghost of his brother that that's a lie. His brother sacrificed himself to extend Zheng Zhi's life because he saw Zheng Zhi as stronger than him and more capable of helping protect the people of China. And he didn't anticipate how his brother's uh, spiritual weakness would lead him down the road to evil. Hmm, that's interesting. So his father has lied about murdering his own brother to project an image of strength. Getting back to that idea of weakness that existed at the end of the Secret Avenger story. So we have several retcons layered on top of each other here um, that have some thematic interesting points and are valuable for Chinese as well as Western readers. We have the idea that we have this five-weapon society, not all the leaders of whom are evil, even if they were trained up under an evil man, that they value the protection of China, and Chinese nationalism is big with Chinese viewers. Mm -hmm. um, we get the idea of Shang-Chi having his own identity and embracing family, even while rejecting his father, and ex but accepting a family tradition that came from his father, but turning it to something new. All of this is going to speak heavily to Chinese readers who are in a country that's filled with tradition, that's filled with inheritance, um, but are facing a very different new future. Mm -hmm. And then the series ends after five issues. Five? Five. And then they started again with Shang-Chi number one. We're now on issue number three. And same artist, same writer, they just wanted to reboot in 2021 and start up the numbering again for new people buying it. We haven't had a reboot in a while. Why not? But it's not a reboot. They're continuing the story directly. They're even continuing the love interest with the bakery owner's daughter. Um, and they're right now... They just wanted to be helpful? Hmm? They just wanted to be helpful? Yep. Hmm. But... We're going we're gonna to get to some important points relevant to the movie here in a moment, but this mm -hmm. new storyline is currently embracing this idea of Shang-Chi is now the leader of what has historically been a criminal empire, and he's at odds with a lot of the good guys of the Marvel Universe, because how do you take over the leadership of an evil organization without being evil yourself? Um, and of course, Heroes Fighting Heroes is a classic hallmark of the Marvel brand. So, now let's jump to the movie, 
which is about a kid who grew up in a convenience store. <laughs> Whoops, sorry. Look, I have a headcanon. I want a what if where Shang-Chi grows up a in a convenience store and his dad is an evil mastermind who runs the convenience store. And just like is like the boss of his little neighborhood in Toronto, Canada. For those who don't get this joke, the actor who's playing Shang-Chi in the upcoming movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Five, uh, sorry, Legend of the Ten Rings, um, played the son of the convenience store owner uh, on a show called Kim's Convenience. Mm -hmm. um, and is a, I'm not a big fan of sitcoms, and there are cringy moments in the sitcoms where they play to sitcom tropes too much, I think. But when the show was good, it was really good. Yeah. Um, it is an absolute shame it got canceled. And I can't believe this only spinoff from it is with a white character. Um, there, There is good news, of course. The actor who plays the son is going on to be Shang-Chi. I don't know what Andrea Yang is going to be, but she's just amazing. Uh, so I hope we see her in tons of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the actor who played the father is going on, I believe he's going to be a character in a new Star Wars series for Disney+, Plus, The Rangers of the New Republic. And for those who've watched The Mandalorian, when the two uh, X-Wing fighters are harassing Mando at the edge of Republic space, the Asian one of them is the father from Kim's Convenience. Um, I don't know what the mother may be working on or doing, but she's an amazing talent too, so I, I hope I see her in more in the future. Um, and I'm sorry I don't know the actors and actresses' names off the top of my head. I'm uh, uh, much better with comics than I am TV shows. Uh, mm -hmm. But, so, the actor, uh, and I, I'm really afraid I'm going to mispronounce his name here, so again, I apologize. I believe it's Simulu. Am I close? Don't look at me. I've never heard it pronounced. Okay. I've never heard it pronounced either. I've seen it presented. I've seen him talk. I don't think I've ever heard anybody pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, so I apologize if I'm slaughtering it. But uh, he plays Shang-Chi in the upcoming movie. Obviously, what we've seen from the trailers is that his father expects him to take over the business. He knows his father is evil. He's gone off to live a civilian life for a while. Some of this resonates with the Shang-Chi comics and some doesn't. Shang-Chi has ended up... Uh, living in civilian spaces in the comics, but he's never really attempted to live a civilian life. You know, you know, even when he's lived in a bakery and helped out the bakery and, and done baking, as soon as the ninjas and assassins and secret agents show up, he jumps right back into it. You know, he just goes with the universal flow. Mm -hmm. While in contrast, uh, they really seem to be emphasizing the idea in the movie of him wanting to be an everyman, an ordinary guy. Mm -hmm. And the father is not some, as far as we can tell, immortal warlord. And I forget the actor's name. I've seen him in so many Chinese cinema films. He's an amazing actor. Tons of stage presence. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in this. Um, the Ten Rings here. Now, this is where things get interesting. Remember, in the last class, we talked about the Mandarin. Introduced in 1964... Um, in the Iron Man comics, and then we just kind of dropped it and didn't bring him up again. Mm -hmm. 
well, the Mandarin is the master of the Ten Rings and was introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe indirectly, first through the Ten Rings terrorist organization, and then the fake Mandarin done by Roxxon Corps in the third Iron Man film. Well, here, they are obviously going with the Mandarin again. He is the Mandarin, he has the Ten Rings, but instead of rings fashioned from a spaceship that fit around his fingers... They are rings that kind of float around his arms, and he's the uh, uh, inheritor, the patriarch, of a martial arts tradition that uses these mystic rings, clearly. Hmm. So we're taking this character of the Mandarin and the idea of the Ten Rings and mashing it up with a criminal organizational ruler that obviously has international scope. Because the Mandarin didn't. The Mandarin always tried to run originally his operations from his little base in China, like a little evil warlord, while Fu Manchu, or Zhang Zhu, whatever you're going to call him, um, spread his organization out. So we have the mashup of these two things. But even Zhang, but Zhang Zhu, until this most recent series, didn't represent a martial arts tradition. Yes, his son was trained in Kung Fu and became the master of Kung Fu, but Zhang Zhu himself did not have a connection to a martial arts tradition until this most recent series where he is and his brother were the progenitor of the Five Weapons Society. So here we see that most recent idea as part of the films. So, and where was the idea originally introduced? way back in that What If Battle World series from 2015 we talked about. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing all that come together. Now, did they have information about the movies when they were doing the most recent series of comics? Maybe. It might be completely parallel. I don't, I don't know how much Marvel distributes information from the movies, but I wouldn't be surprised if the writer picked for the Shang-Chi series didn't get some brief about the activities of the movies. But... We also see in a scene from the trailers where he's talking to his mother, Michelle Yeoh, not an American woman, but a Chinese woman. Mm -hmm. And Michelle Yeoh's amazing. I will watch anything that has Michelle Yeoh in it. They could put Michelle Yeoh in a car commercial and I'd watch it at least once. <laughs> um, but, but he talks about being her son as well as his father's. So let's get back to that idea you know, the original Shang-Chi was all about being the antithesis of his father. And then we had that intro idea introduced in Heroes for Hire about he had these violent impulses that he needed to separate himself from, and he might be his father's son. Now... Are we going to do anything? We're not supposed to punch the mics. wasn't trying to. You need to, to control your violent impulses. <laughs> Reach your Taoist master that lives inside... And when you go to punch the air, miss the microphone. <laughs> okay. Okay? Okay. All right. Or I'll master slap your head. Um, and this is Miskatonic. They don't give a shit. We have students die here all the time. They won't care if I slap you. Ancient languages? Shit, I don't even know how anybody graduate with a degree from that place. Um, so Shang-Chi is his father's son. Yes. And, and we see him eventually inherit a tradition from his father, but try to change it. He has these violent impulses. Um, and we see that theme come up in the movie, where he's going to have to accept that he's his father's son. But then we also have this very different mother side. Now, in the comics, his mother 
is evil. She's like, well, sure, I know your dad is a complete evil warlord. I want the power associated with being the mother of his best weapon. Here, obviously, that is not the case. Michelle Yeoh is obviously representing some more benign influence, maybe benevolent influence, we're not clear. And we see a scene where Shang-Chi is in a river and faces what's obviously a, a, a river dragon of some kind, a yeah. powerful elemental presence. And of course, water represents healing and soothing. Um, so I do think we're going to see over time the comics mirror that because the comics always mirror the movies. And I think we're going to see Shang-Chi move from simply being a martial artist with spiritual knowledge to having some connect higher spiritual connections. Now, does this mean he's going to start throwing fireballs and summoning storms? I hope not. I don't want to see that interpretation of Taoist martial arts. Um, but played well, I think it could be an interesting addition mm -hmm. to what is currently the only uh, Asian character in the upper pantheon of the Marvel Universe. And that's where we end today's class. Mm -hmm. So, um, I have, a after several requests from people, I have made a new Twitter account to make it easier to contact me. It is Pondering Comics at twitter.com i will put that in the class notes um i will also probably put some uh links to where you can buy some of these collected books and stuff and my email is rogan.hamby at gmail.com and we will see you in one week when our next class session is going to be on isekai comics Ooh. so until then Read your goddamn assignments. <laughs>